seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have me, Sacred Stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother... Welcome, friends, to episode 141 of Color of Magic, your Magic and Gaming podcast where we talk about all types of things that affect gamers at and away from their gaming tables and computers. As always, I am your host, Jaquan Watson, and for 141 episodes, still riding with my main man in shotgun, Brian Allen. How's it going, dude? 141, almost matching our heat index. <laughs> yeah, for y'all, for real. No, no, be real. I'm... If y'all wonder why I sound a little different, uh, I'm actually in L.A. this week, so I'm recording from there. And he's had plastic surgery. No, not really. (laughs) No, plastic surgery wouldn't do me no good anyway. I just look funnier. But honestly, it's hot out here. Like, it ain't even, like, hot, hot like y'all got. Like, we're we're nearing 90 here. Yeah, I was going to say, what what do you consider hot? I mean, like, it's 85, 90 is, like, a real temperature, at least. But for for you, yeah, yeah you could live in somewhere where like I've seen eighty twice this year. <laughs> yep, you getting spiraled. Oh, dude, you ain't lying. I, I'm soft like Jello, like <laughs> no lie. Though I will say this week, I think it was just going to be eighties anyway this week, so it'd be about the same whether I was home or not. Yeah. But yeah, it's been interesting being out here, man. I've I've uh, got to go to the Ultra Pro facilities. You know, who's a big sponsor of my stuff. And it was pretty cool. There's some things I definitely am going to talk about that uh, a little later. Because there's some fun stuff there. But I'm going to be shooting some stuff with the guys and gals, the folks, I should say, over on Tabletop Jocks. And we'll be doing that this weekend, too. So it's going to be a pretty packed weekend. I've been already going pretty much nonstop since I got off the plane. So... Just hitting the ground running, doing a bunch of work, and then flying back. So not a lot of time to explore uh, West Hollywood, but I got to see a few of the sites because they're within walking distance of where I'm staying. But how how are things going otherwise this week, this week for you, dude? Oh, God. Uh, the computer died, so I'm really happy to, to even be on this podcast. We were luckily able to get, get a new hard drive and get that. Uh, we're, we, we're down like the, the, the main gaming machine conked out that's still under warranty so we sent that one back so okay we got a laptop it's not nearly as powerful obviously then i guess you know it was <laughs> it was jealous that nobody been playing with it so then it died oh so lost two machines this week we lost two machines so yeah it's been just <laughs> t- t- total system failure trying to happen over here well if y'all are wondering why we're getting the show out late this week there you go yeah <laughs> that explains that but yeah, before we get into the rest of the show, as always, we want to pay some love to our show sponsor, Cardsphere.com. Great place to buy and sell cards at the price you want. Matter of fact, I used them to send out a whole pile of stuff this week before I left, and I'll be sending more stuff when I get back home. So we actually use it ourselves. You should go and check it out. They are Cardsphere.com. And then if you want to support the show, you can go over to Patreon.com slash Color Magic. And you could be a supporter just like Demetrius, who has been a supporter since July 21. So thank you for that. And then if you want to get some tokens for yourself or some playmats and help wrap the show and just help us out in general, go over to colorofmtg.com slash shop and pick up some goodies for yourself. All right. Help us fix computers. <laughs> that is true. We got to replace gear. That is a real thing. 
You know, I, I matter of fact, I, even for my studio at home, I just started trying to do some new lighting and other stuff. Like, it costs money to keep upgrading things and keep things working. But let's get into some very interesting things from this week because, man, I feel like there's been a lot to talk about. And uh, this week's going to be no different. So we kind of got into this situation last week. I say we, we being nerds as a whole on the internet. And I'm trying, I don't remember how the topic came up, but somebody had tried to say something. Oh, I remember. There was somebody, the Star Wars uh, social media account had posted something about LGBT stuff or whatever, right? And they basically said, and then by the way, I'm, I'm looking at the actual tweet from this. But this was last weekend, or pre, yeah, it was last weekend, actually. They had posted, somebody had responded and said, hey, don't make Star Wars political. And the Star <laughs> Wars account was like, yeah, yeah, queer characters existing isn't political. And we would know because Star Wars is literally in our name. But then somebody separately responded with, one, the politics beg to differ, which I don't even know what that means, because there's a lot of political undertones in Star Wars just because. And then they said, two, descriptor of content, not intent. Again, don't know what they're trying to say there. But then this is where it starts to kind of go sideways. It says, three, you're a brand rep on a PC managing a Twitter account. You suck at marketing by alienating potential customers. I don't even know what they did to it. Like, they literally just made a statement that isn't wrong. Like, it's actually factual. And then, and this is the one that got me. They said, Star Wars is a Christian story. Anakin is space Jesus. That's why it got wide appeal. And I just went... Didn't Anakin up. murder a bunch of kids with his lightsaber? Exactly! Did, did I'm like, I? Yo, I'm like, if you think Anakin is Jesus, what does that say about you? Right? If, if, I, I, if you had said space Lucifer, we're okay. He does a bunch of foul stuff, but 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 maybe could could you know maybe if the story continues, you think there's some kind of chance for him to be redeemed? But no, it just you certainly can't say he's like the holy messianic figure that's gonna save everybody exactly i was like are we watching like and don't get me wrong i'm not like the most hardcore star wars fan but i had the same thought of like do i yeah but even you're familiar with the, the youngling massacre <laughs> you know, it's just... yeah i'm just like something doesn't add up here like right. if i like and then and i've heard that one before i've heard many people try to sell me on Anakin as, as space Jesus. Yeah, I like you sure that wouldn't be Luke. Luke is the the if anybody that's the farm boy with the humble beginnings that grows up to save the universe. That's the thing that I just why are they trying to make Vader space Jesus is the part that, that just befuddles me. It's weird, man. It's weird. I'm like I don't understand. And now I'm just like. Do I have a weird understanding of Christianity? Do I have a weird understanding of Star Wars? And is that making this worse where I can't connect with this thought? So I, I just mean, started asking people. 
Especially the, the original, the, the, the first movie, especially when it, I, I had HBO as a kid. I'm going to guess I have seen that first movie no less than 500 times. And yeah, also, did you think like, oh, this is like the Bible? I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I guess if you're going to make that argument for anybody, you could say Luke is a messianic figure because he's the good guy. Vader, no. <laughs> it's just no. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, it, it was weird to me. I was just like, and then, it, but this kind of came up with another thing that it does feel like too often. And I do remember feeling this way as a kid was that, like, we try to add religion to too many things, or at least make religion the justification for too many things. And it's just like, no, sometimes it's just a thing. Sometimes it's just a story. Sometimes it's just a product. Like, but I think that's what leads to us getting in situations where it's like, oh, all these D&D books need to be banned or yeah. rock and roll, it's, it's turning our kids to the devil or whatever it is, you know? Well, like, that's the, the insistence in some corners of America that Christianity is the only way to do it, religion-wise. All just the only one that's of any importance. They just yeah, and then so. try to push that on everybody else. But I, but I, like I said, I remember growing up in every game you played. Every it's pretty much anything you enjoyed was the devil. Yeah. Like I mean, that's pretty much it. Like oh, you're you're dancing, you're drinking, you're going out and hanging out with your friends, you're playing these video games, you're doing whatever. So it's like, well, they, they, you know, at some point you feel like, what's his name? Uh, in the water boy talking to his mama. Like you can't, right. it's like nothing. Everything is the devil. Oh. Yeah, everything's the devil, mama. Like, you know, that's sort of what it felt like. And, and it was weird to see somebody just be like, oh yeah, Anakin Space Jesus. That's why your, your movie's popular. Like, what? Like I had never made even remotely close to that connection. So that was, that was so strange to me. And it's, and it's kind of alarming how many people have. Yeah, I didn't even know this was a thing. I literally yeah. didn't know. That I is, that I'm telling you, that, that is not the first, probably not the fifth time I've heard that one, and I never understand it. That's so weird, man. So weird. But it's it's out there. So, yeah, that, there you go. There's people in the world that believe Anakin is face Jesus and that Star Wars is a Christian story. Now, what that says about how you view religion, I have no effing idea. Because to make that correlation, like you, you, I don't know. I don't even know what you have to believe to make sure make that a thing, honestly. Because, like you said, like there is a point where, and that's what I understood. He just rolls in and takes out a whole temple full of kids. Yeah. And I'm just like, uh, that that's not a thing you should be equating with your religious figure. <laughs> so it's weird man it's weird but anyway I'm going to pass this off to you because there's still more stuff to cover this week yeah uh, a couple of interesting announcements regarding Overwatch we, we have a release date it's going to be out in October it's going to be Free to play, and like, ooh, ooh, you know, that all seems good. I'm excited. Then, uh, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, as soon as Overwatch 2 comes out, it will effectively replace Overwatch 1. Like, wait, what? <laughs> the, the, that's that the part you got slipped in there. Yeah, that's the part you hadn't mentioned before. And also, it's in complete contradiction to the first thing you said, which was that, hey, oh, you'll, you'll be able to keep Overwatch 1 and you'll be able to have cross play with people playing Overwatch 2. 
that sounded fun, but as as you know, development went on and Overwatch two started to take some kind of drastic measures. Probably the biggest one being cutting the number number of teammates down from you know six v six to five v five. Okay, yeah, at that point, those games can't conceivably play together. We can't have six people on one team and five people on the other team. That's not that's not going to work. Also, they made some pretty big changes to some heroes. Some heroes that were uh, DPS before have been switched to tank and and other, so yeah, there's I, I get that those games can't play together anymore, but to just say hey, we're that, that other one, we're, we're turning it off in October. I can't think of another situation in the genre where that's been. I mean, even the last Call of Duty, I'm sure, just probably the last, I'd say at least four, five, maybe six games worth of servers still up and playable in case you just hated this year's or, you know, the last two years, or you just really love, you know, one of the modern warfares, like whatever, but even sports games. And we, you know, sports games have a known reputation for just basically being roster updates and getting kind of greedy and somebody that owns almost all the sports games. It's a well-deserved reputation, but even, even among sports games, like I can still play, you know, Madden 23 is about to drop. I think I can still play back to probably at least Madden 20 if the servers are still up. Yeah, that's a weird thing because pretty much every game leaves old servers up until they're just under a certain threshold. Yeah. Like they'll, they'll say, like, you know, if we're under X number of players per day or whatever for like a month, then we just announce we're going to shut the servers down or whatever. So, like, it's weird to just start out saying, like, oh, yeah, on day one, enjoy your game, right? <laughs> Because we're shutting it down. Especially for a game, you know, that has undergone uh, such dramatic changes. There's people that be like, hey, you know what? Doomfist is a tank now. I'm a Doomfist DPS main. I'm out. I'll stay over here. But now you don't have the option. It's also weird, too. Like, why not just make that a new character and keep your old one? Because I don't really understand. Like, if you have people that like a certain character... Wouldn't you? I mean, I will say that change is probably correct because it's part of it. They didn't realize Doomfist was going to become a tank because part of his mechanic is he he generates shields and, you know, he's supposed to be a damage-based character. He can dive in there and get so much shield where he has basically become a tank. So I get that change. It's just the way people, as often happens happens in Magic, people play a character the way nobody thought you could play it, so changes had to be made. Okay. So that's bad I get, but again, leave the old game up for people that like to play in the old way, you know, and, and other characters that have been like Orissa's gone through some pretty significant changes, like from a kind of standstill and a whole traditional tank to I hear she's almost a dive tank in Overwatch 2. So again, mm. let people that want to play Orissa the old way play the old way, you would think, but also that, like changing the team size feels weird. Yeah. Because you already know 6v6 works. People enjoy playing it. I think that's, I suspect that's driven by Overwatch League. Because if you're trying to watch the game, especially, you know, if you, you let's say if you're not somebody that plays the game often, you just want to watch, see kind of what the fuss is about. It gets, even for somebody that I've got easily 1,000 hours or better in, once everybody is off doing their thing, fired off, it becomes very chaotic to watch. So I think. That and a lot of the changes are made for 
for Overwatch League to make it, which that's we've talked about how things can get a little, little too esports, a little too much because that's not the majority of your player base. The overwhelming majority yeah. of your player base has never watched Overwatch League and is never going to. Don't care. Yeah, that's about the it. thing. Like I don't even play a lot of Overwatch, you know, but I do kind of enjoy watching the chaotic nature of it when I do watch it. It just makes it feel different. Yeah. So like I don't know. That that's a good call out though. There's definitely some things that uh, people are going to be talking about and not be happy about. Yeah, I have yet to hear a good explanation for that other than we say so. It's <laughs> basically. Yeah, well, we'll see. That's definitely going to be a story to keep an eye on. That's for sure. But you know what time it is, Brian. We're always trying to tell people go and learn something. So this week, Brian, why don't you tell people what it was that you learned? Well, a few months ago, Twitch introduced us to the ad incentive program and the yeah. ad manager tool. And I guess the, they said they're not kidding. They're it's, they're rolling it out for for real and for true now, where I guess each month content creators are going to get an offer. And if they stream, let's say, 40 hours, they'll receive this much money. It had been, it had been, I guess, kind of in, I guess we were going to say beta before, where a few, a select group of creators, like pretty much all partners were able to get in. And, you know, people, it's a thing where people have mixed feelings because a lot of people are saying with the, with, with the way it's going to be set up now, they're actually probably going to lose, in some cases, hundreds, if not thousands of dollars doing it this way. Yeah, it's a little tough because they sort of made the revenue in line with what other sites are already doing. So one, it tells you you've been being underpaid for all those ads you have been getting, Yeah. but they're now kind of changing the viewing experience on the platform for no extra money for the creators. I mean, it's extra if you were on Twitch, but not really compared to being on other platforms. So that's already kind of tough, but I, don't, I mean, I guess now if you want to get paid, you kind of have to start structuring your, I guess we'll call it program, your show on your channel around the ads. Which is the thing that really for, for the majority of creators have had no desire to do. Yeah, you're not wrong. Like, uh, you, like you've talked about how, especially if you're new, probably you want to try to figure out how to do as few ads as possible because people will click off of your channel when they when they see ads. It's just a thing that happens. Yeah, I mean, I was even recently, I, like if I'm doing like a box opening or whatever, and I'm going to have like a clear delineation between the content, like maybe I'm going from a box opening to playing some arena. I'll just sort of be like, hey, I'm going to use this to put up like a one or two minute ad break. I'm going to refill my water and then we'll get started playing games after that, right? So that's like a good place to put an ad. But if I'm just playing Arena and I'm playing like a couple of long games back to back that happen to take like 40 minutes, I'm not going to have a spot to put an ad unless I want to stick one between like every 15 or 20 minutes worth of games or something. Even if it's just a 30 second ad, which I mean, I guess maybe that's going to be the nature of the program programming now. I, I don't really know. I guess so. One of the changes in, that will be positive is that apparently, I guess they will be able to give you some kind of hey, a warning, like, okay, we're going to do an ad in let's say five minutes if you want to kind of, get, if you can get to a place where you can take a pause and let that's people know, hey, 
stay tuned for these commercial messages. <laughs> yeah, like if I knew it was going to, like, I guess the problem is, though, I'd have to have both my regular window up and the, whatever they call it, the, yeah. the creator studio window up so I can see the warning. But at least you're getting some warning. And, and like you said, you know, if your game just goes long, as almost every game has the potential to do, you know, then you just, uh, sorry, you know, I, I made a great play. Sorry, y'all missed it in the ad for uh, <laughs> for Doritos, but it was really awesome. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of that already. Plus, Twitch has other issues I'm fighting already, yeah. technically, that, you know, I can't get a contact over there or whatever. So. Exactly. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. But some people will make more money off of this, so that's the good news. The creators, yep. there are a fair amount, even small to mid creators that will. Yes, even apparently, uh, qualifying affiliates will be able to to get uh, to get the ads once once the whole thing starts rolling. Yeah, so you know those people will be able to bring in probably another hundred, two hundred dollars a month, which is huge when they're not making hardly. Anything. Exactly. If you're not getting anything, even you know just to be able to. Hey, show show people. Look, you know this is I, I'm actually creating content and making money on it. Yeah, it also just feels good, you know. I mean, I remember the first time somebody actually paid me to stand on stage, you know, and tell jokes. It's it's life literally life changing. Oh, the dude, first I've time you four super thanks on YouTube this week or over the last two weeks, and that just made my day. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, all right, like, and granted, I think the uh, the highest one was like two ninety nine or something. But still, but the like, fact that people paid you, you know, to, to entertain them again is a magical feeling. Yeah, hell, I actually had a couple people send me like reasonable donations, like just out of the blue. They just clicked the thing. They didn't want to send it through insert. They just sent it direct through PayPal, and I was like, damn, like people care enough to just send that. Like, thank you. Like, I saw somebody I, on. So somebody on Twitter, you know, talking about a hater came into their stream saying, hey, you know, you only got 21 viewers. You should be humble. Like this person clearly has never streamed. They don't know how much work it takes to get somebody told them that 21 viewers is a whole corporate conference room full of people who have decided to watch you instead of the thousands of other creators on Twitch doing thousands of different things. And I told them, yeah, no humility is required here. Yeah, that's the thing, too. When I started thinking about content that way, it was like, all right, the first time you get, say, like 50 viewers on a YouTube video, it's like, that's more than a classroom's worth of people. Right? You know, it doesn't seem like a lot, but it's like, put in perspective, like, how often have you gotten to speak to a group that big? And then when it's oh. over, like, 100, you're like, oh, well, that's bigger than, like, some audiences I've had when I've spoken at like conventions. That's what I'm saying. I've done shows, you know, especially for open mics at a whole comedy club. And I ain't talking about, you know, like, like uh, Jack's Laugh Shack. I'm talking about, I've done shows probably at the improv where there weren't 20 people. Damn, that had to hurt your feelings a little bit. See, not as much as it probably hurt, you know, their, <laughs> their electricity bill and yeah. their, you know, <laughs> keeping the lights on for. That's true. But you know what? That's how we all come up, right? We, mm -hmm. we all start with something small and make our way up. Oh, and I remember, you know, since we were talking about religion a little bit earlier, I remember one show. It was a Halloween show. So because it was Halloween, we have a show that we do that kind of speaks to seances. 
and spooky stuff. And a church group booked the show. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So you talk about satanic panic. I'm talking about soon as we say the name of tonight's show, I think it was called like a spirited murder. I'm talking about the church ladies got up, pulled the pastor who had booked the show to the side and started blessing him out in front of God and everybody in the middle of the show. Then that whole table of about eight to 10 people all got up and left the show. And yeah, at that point we were playing to maybe six, seven people because they were half, you know, the, the main reason we, we did that show was, Hey, we got a church group. We can turn a profit on this. And then two minutes into the show, church group is gone. And of course we'll be asking for a full refund as soon as they get to their cell phones. All right, then. Yeah, you just gotta, hey, you know, for for the five of you that stayed, we're gonna try to have a lot of fun, okay? <laughs> that's that's a hard one, man. That's a hard yeah. One. The, the only thing I tell people about when it comes to Twitch and whatnot is like, because I was talking to somebody about this last week, is I don't, I mean, credit, like you have a lot of fortitude if you're still streaming to like five people six years in. Right. You know, if you're making YouTube videos and never got more than five views, I was like, man, like I, like I couldn't do it, but credit for the tenacity. Yeah. And then I mean that genuinely that like, it, like my mentality wouldn't let me, like I would have to figure out how do I get like five more views or five more followers or whatever. Like that's just the way I'm wired. But like the fact that even with limited success, some people keep doing it, you know, waiting for the day that the break happens. And some people have decided, hey, they enjoy making content. And literally, you know, if five people want to hear the, their take on uh, the Incan civilization and Civilization Five, or just whatever random thing, they'll talk to those five people. As you know, you would if you ran into five people that like your favorite video game or your favorite card game just at a convention. You would sit down and talk to them. Yeah. But, you know, maybe this helps encourage some people on Twitch, right? Like maybe you pocketed an extra 30, 40, 50 bucks a month from running a few ads. Helps people get remotivated. Help somebody buy that next camera they need or whatever, right? Like maybe, and you know, it's, it's one of those things that I don't necessarily agree with it as a short-term play, but maybe in the long run, this makes for better creators on Twitch because there's more money being, which they should have been doing anyway, but maybe this is maybe one of the things the platform needs. I don't know. Because, yeah, like we talk about, yeah, those first, <laughs> so for some people, it's the first few months, for some people, it's the first few years where they are generating zero money. And, yeah, you talk about just not, not just the, 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 the constant beating of talking to, to four or five people, but to, to be doing that for free, you know, is so yeah. if they can, if you can, you know, <laughs> Literally, even just pay for your internet bill from Twitch. That's been a huge thing for you. No, oh, no joke. Because a lot of us pay for more internet than we need just to make sure we can pull everything off. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I was kind of thinking, I'm, I'm kind of going a different way on, on what did we learn this week. Because I just realized I don't really have a place to put this in the show. But I don't think people realize how much of a human element there is in the production of their game supply. So one of the things I got to do while I was here is I walked, one, I got the tour of Ultra Pro's facilities and I discussed some things with them as far as content and whatever, but 
I also got to see their factories where things are produced. And I don't think the average person really understands is like there's a other than just like obviously there's a human operating the machines, but there are humans handling a very large percentage of the product before it's packaged for various things. You know, for some of the binders, it's, you know, a human touch to make sure like everything's QA'd and <clears throat> excuse me, that the artwork's right and whatever. There's somebody checking the nine pocket pages for clarity to make sure, you know, QA checking coming off the line that it looks right. There's actually a process even to the sleeves to make sure that the right length of sleeve is being consistent within a packing of the sleeves, which there's a whole thing I'll talk about in, when I put the video together about how it's done. But I just think like, it, and again, I, and I'm one of those people, you know, that I, I knew there were humans involved, but not to the level of what they're involved. Like they, they handle a lot of stuff. I feel like there are so many points, you know, especially as, as we talk about, you know, politics and economics. There are so many places where people, you can tell people don't realize how many humans are involved in the making of just everything that, that we eat or that we play with or, or just re whatever. People yeah. sometimes think elves make so much of this stuff. Well, I think it's easy to look at a thing and go like, oh, you can have a machine that does this. But it's like, yeah, at some point, somebody has to make sure the machines actually, like, a machine right. can't quality QA check something. Exactly. Like, you have to have somebody look at it and go, what does a human think when they see this or feel this or whatever? Or a, a machine like, can't even tell that something is spelled properly because, yeah, there's spell check, but a machine can't understand the context. Yeah. Like, even even something like playmats. It's like, well, they can come off and be boxed, but like if something gets off kilter one time, then like the next 12 boxes are screwed up. You know, so it's just like, you gotta have somebody there to just check all that. So it was actually really neat because I think that's one of the cool parts to get to share is that, you know, there's a way that they actually check to make sure you don't get like piles of miscut sleeves in the same packs. And it's one of the reasons I also tell you, don't mix up packs of sleeves because there could be small variants, right? For a lot of reasons whether the machine's slightly off or the weather changes and heat, you know, expands or contracts the, the plastics involved or whatever. But you have a person trying to make sure that at least within a pack, there's consistency, which is pretty cool, honestly. So like, yeah, just a lot of little stuff like that. So that's going to be a fun piece to put together. Uh, hopefully, I will say next week, it might be the following mm -hmm. week. But yeah, it was just neat. Like I said, I... I assumed the factory was going to be big and busy and, you know, because Ultra Pro makes like a right. thousand products or whatever. Like they've been doing it for, gosh, I don't know, like 40 years, 50, you know, actually longer than 70 years, actually. So that part didn't surprise me, but just seeing the number of people involved and where they're involved in the process was actually pretty cool. Because I believe Ultra Pro employs over 200 people. Wow. And that's, that's a lot of stuff going on there. So, yeah, really neat. So if you right. like, you know, that that how it's made type of stuff, and I, I know I'm somebody that I'll sit there and watch it, a, a million of those, how it gets made, history of food, all those things. Oh, dude, I watched, like, I know how an ice skate's made. I know how a baseball is stitched. I'd be mean, like, just dumb, like things I don't need to know, but once it's on, you're kind of like, well, now I am yeah. kind of curious. <laughs> Prime example, like especially with a baseball, a thing I've used a uh, hundred times and, and would never think, oh yeah, how did they make this thing? 
Well, yeah, and that's kind of what I did. I, you know, I posted on Twitter earlier today, actually, like, hey, I kind of just got to do a walkthrough of how the sausage is made at Ultra Pro. How many of y'all would be interested in seeing something like this? And like immediately, I got like 30, 40 replies. People just like, oh, yeah, absolutely. This type of thing I'd want, you know, a bunch of people liking the comment. And I was like, man, us nerds, we just like seeing this type of stuff, I guess. Yeah. Like, it's a popular thing. But again, even when I was walking around Ultra Pro, we talked about that. And they even said, like, yeah, we're pretty sure nobody really knows how any of this stuff is done. And I'm like, yeah, that's the whole reason I even thought about doing it is we all use this stuff every single day. But we don't know where the hell it comes from or what it goes through. <laughs> like, we just know it exists. You know, that's it. But anyway, let's go ahead and get into some topics because there was definitely some news this week. All right, so if you're a gamer, it's kind of hard not to have seen G Fuel promoted somewhere. I would say they have been the number one leader in affiliate marketing, I would say, for energy drinks or gamer drinks. Uh, granted, if you want to get some love from some people that are treating people right, though, you know, I use Rogue Energy and they sponsor Degenerate Gaming. So, you know, go check them out. But Jesus, nice, <laughs> nice hey, product placement right hey, there. Be real about it, though. Like, and they're good. I got to be honest, they're really good. But G Fuel had some crazy news because I believe it was like last Monday or so. A bunch of the content creators woke up to realize that they don't have a contact to G Fuel anymore. Turns out they fired their whole partner management team. All of them. So nobody knows what the hell is going on. And turns out people that asked about it, even on their social media and on Twitch or whatever, were just getting banned. So I was like, wow, imagine that. Like you just wake up and you have no contacts anymore. Like you don't know if you're getting paid. You don't like nothing with the company. Just no overnight, they, overnight they turned into Twitch. Yeah, no, it's or if you need help, you you got nobody to talk to. But like, not even an email saying like, "Hey, there's a thing going on right now. Give us, I don't know, a week to get our ducks in a row. We'll get back to you." Right? Like, literally nothing, which is crazy. And I don't like now, Brian. You told me you found out some other information later in the week related to this. Yeah, apparently they uh, some there there was some kind of I guess uh, staff meeting, and one of the higher ups reportedly referred to the employees as lazy mfers, and yeah, you know that that's never gonna go well. I've been in situations where you know where bosses go off and use some uh, colorful metaphors, so to speak. So this person was immediately reported to HR, and according to you know what's being reported by uh, multiple. You know, multiple gaming, you know, esports related sites that that's when the that's when the axe started swinging and that's when the band hammer started swinging. If you dared to go to base Twitch stream and ask a valid question of, hey, G Fuel, what the F y'all doing over there? <laughs> yeah. Because just for, for it all to be for all this to happen at the same time, it just it certainly doesn't look like it was planned. You, you no, would, it couldn't have been. You surely you would at least drop an email say, "Hey, we're gonna be doing things a different way." And just even the crappiest companies I've worked for, you at least get to shoot out, especially for a, a kind of a, a a PR or you know 
I guess, partner relations type job. He simply said, hey, I've been working with you for, you know, a few years. I'm moving on to such and such thing or just, just some kind of press release saying, hey, starting Monday, I'm not going to be here. Here's who else you talk to. Apparently, there's been none of that said to anybody. It's just, hey, you woke up and you didn't have a partner contact. Yeah. And like my first thought when you said that was just like, okay, well, you probably insulted a couple people and or fired them. And the other people probably went, cool, well, you're on your own. And then you just lose a whole damn department. And then I don't know what you do now. Because. I know people already that I've seen on Twitter talking about like, well, I guess I'm just going to drop this deal or I'm going to go looking for a replacement like beverage company or whatever. Like, uh, like rogue. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's real. And I don't blame them. Right. If you don't know, you're not going to be promoting somebody's stuff. If you ain't getting paid. No, especially if you literally don't have a person to reach out to and find out just what is, what is happening with, you know, with, with your account. And even more so, if you believe that this management owner, whatever, was treating their employees like that, you probably don't even want to support the company anymore. Yeah, because I mean, I'm I'm sure a lot of people liked the person they were working with. Because I mean, after you know, you've been working with them for let's say six months to a year, and you hate them, you probably still aren't working with G Fuel. Oh yeah, that's totally true. Like account managers do a lot of work for everything, from you know just simple products to full on distribution of things like. There's relationships that get built there very quickly. I mean, I can tell you even from having my store to this day, I could call any of my old sales reps or whatever. If I'm in town, we'll go have a drink or whatever. Yeah. Like, there, there's a lot of relationship building that goes on there. So that, As it should be, because you know, you're yeah. in literal public relations with a job like that. Yeah, that's going to have a big impact on G Fuel, for sure. Like Because they basically, all the new people... Well, assuming you get new people, I don't, I don't really know. But assuming you get new people, I won't say they're going to be starting completely over, but they're going to have to relearn everybody, figure out how to best contact each person, who your top and bottom performers are, who needs more help or attention. Like, all of that's got to be relearned. And that's of whoever you end up keeping after this whole debacle. So, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Weird news, because that's not something you see happen too often with products out here that are doing that type of affiliate marketing because and with G Fuel, because they like like I said, I mean they're they're the ads you see the most out there. Like right. They, they're, they're they're everywhere. <laughs> just... Yeah, I mean, dare I say they're the OG energy drink for gamers at this point that everybody yeah. recognizes. I, I so, dare say they are the the raid shadow legends of beverages. They everywhere. <laughs> that's probably a better correlation actually. They they are the raid shadow legends. Yes. That is very, very accurate. But yeah, I don't know. I'm going to put that out there for Rogue Energy. If you want something else to promote, send them a message. They've been really good to us. Just saying. But uh, yeah, let's talk about some double masters. So those of you that have been hiding under a rock, we will let you know that double masters is coming out here in a couple weeks. And people feel some kind of way about this set. It's had a, uh, I don't know if tumultuous is the word, but a very interesting short lifespan already at this point um, among social media or among the fans, really. Because it started out being like, I believe, 225 to 250 a box in some places early on. And people are like, I don't know, that's a lot. I don't know, blah, blah, blah. It is. 
It's a whole and then lot. more and more previews came out. Now you have trouble finding a box under like 330. <laughs> so in the matter of like two weeks time, you know, boxes are up probably by the time they've released close to $100 more because they've just jam packed it full of stuff. So that's kind of like the good news, right? But then there's a lot of other questionable things. And at some point, I feel like I'm going to do a video about the good, the bad, and the ugly of Double yeah. Masters. Too. And I, I just so, want to say that, that one other good thing is, you know, again, for, for the tired narrative that Wizard wants to get out of paper magic, like, no, they want to figure out exactly how much you'll pay for paper. And then, okay. <laughs> and then yeah. get as high as they can on that. Which, again, if you want them to continue making this product, is a thing you should want because no company in their right mind gets out of a business where they can raise the price of a piece of cardboard to hundreds and in cases of them, thousands of dollars in some cases. No, you want into that business. You don't get out of it. And yeah, and let's be honest, right? Like what, whatever anybody says or feels about this or whatever, the bottom line is if you aren't buying it, they aren't making it, right? So we can be as mad as we want to, but this... Man, they almost got me cussing on here. Like, this, this stuff's going to sell out. And at the end of the day, a company ain't going broke selling out of something. So we can be as mad as we wanted to about the prices being higher, but people are buying it. And that's why they're making it. The cool Watson said, 316 says everybody, <laughs> they sell it out. It's true, though. Right? We And I tell game stores this all the time. Like, you're better off under-ordering than over-ordering because you ain't going to go out of business selling out of stuff. Right. Right. That, that's just it. But it is going to bring down the price of a lot of cards, right? There's a lot of reprints, valuable ones, and because they're other versions, rare versions, borderless, foil, whatever, that gives more product in general to the market. So if there's a card you're chasing right now that's $30, $40, it's getting reprinted in Double Masters, the price might come down as much as 50%. So you might be able to pick up one of those cards for 15, 20 bucks now and make it more affordable for you. So as much as you don't like the idea that these packs exist, they are going to be helping you out if you're a tighter on a budget. Now don't be wrong, I get it. People get mad when there's FOMO, right? Like I can't afford that, I can't buy that, I want this rare version, whatever. I totally understand that. But at the end of the day, they are all reprints. So these cards already exist. You're, there's nothing new you have to buy. And they are going to ultimately make a lot of cards cheaper for you to own. That's not a bad thing. But, you know, I see people complaining about the collector's boosters, which are four packs to a box. And depending on where you buy them, they are anywhere between 50, 60 bucks or whatever. But we just did a $100 booster of uh, Double Masters 1 two years ago. And... That was already a thing that got people up in arms. And I, if I remember right, those even just had, a, you know, over the cards that are already in there, there was a bunch of, like, foil lands and other stuff. So, like, not stuff anybody really needed, honestly, for that extra 100 bucks or extra 40 bucks in this case. But I don't really see a problem with it. Like, I, again, am I going to sit here and say, I'm going to buy a whole lot of $60 packs? No. But I also know that Wizards is well aware that, they have several customers that are in a very high bracket of income. I mean, that's what happens when you have a bunch of nerds as customers. They have a bunch of really good jobs. And if they're spending money on things, well, might as well give them something to spend money on. 
Because we've talked about it before. Like, if you go into a game, like, people should do themselves a favor. Go to wherever your most popular sports card store is. And then just ask them what the most expensive booster is they have for sale of any product. You're going to be shocked at some of the numbers. I mean, these game companies or these sports card companies out here are making products that are single booster packs over $1,000. Can confirm. <laughs> and they have like, I don't know, between on the product, four to like eight things in them. Now, granted, they're going to be like, here's a, the card has like a piece of a game-worn jersey or a piece of Babe Ruth's bat or whatever it is. But it's still one pack. Now, there's even some stuff that, like, they've made. I want Maybe it was Panini. I can't remember. But one of the companies made a thing where each product was very expensive. I want to say 1000 plus, And it came with a bunch of stuff that was, like, super low number. Like, either one of one or one of ten or something like that. And stores couldn't even order more than, like, four of these things. Like, there was some, like, super exclusive thing. Like, that's not that uncommon. But, again, they know there's only... A certain percentage of the clientele that wants the high-end, rare, collectible, whatever thing, and they're going to walk in and buy it. And they're only doing it because they know people will pay for it. So, yeah, is $60 high for a booster? Yes. Are people going to buy it and it's going to sell out? Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. I can't fault yes. them for doing it. You know what I mean? Like, we can be mad about it, but like, here's the thing. And I, and I ask this genuinely of people. What are you hoping to happen by complaining about there being a $60 booster pack? Like, really? I mean, okay, they don't sell a $60 booster pack. How does that affect you? It doesn't. You weren't going to buy the $60 booster pack anyway. So just let them sell the $60 booster pack to the high-end collectors and sell more copies of the card you want, and then the price is going to come down for whatever. Like, that's fine. Like, I don't need to buy it, especially I would rather it happen on a collector set that's reprints. You know, like if this was, I don't know, let's say Brothers War coming up or whatever, or Dominary United, right? Like that would be more bothersome because it's like, okay, well now the only versions of these that are going to exist in the world, some percentage of them are just going to be high end, valuable, hard to get, whatever. But you're talking about cards, some cases in this set are being reprinted for the third time, fourth time, whatever. So, eh, it's hard for me to be moved by it. Now, a legit complaint I have about it, why do we have like $1 rares and $2 mythics being reprinted in this set? Like that that part doesn't make any sense to me because if your regular packs are still going to be expensive, why do like nobody should open a pack because because remember like that's what those are valued at now once these packs get open those prices are going to again get knocked down probably 50 percent or more so you're printing stuff that not only isn't un, I'll, I'll use wizard term undesirable you know because we're not going to talk about valuable or not valuable but <laughs> undesirable because they're not that, being that played sounds worse to me <laughs> but it's true though Right? They're, they're not being played in different decks. They're not, they have no secondary market value. Some of them got printed not that long ago. So I don't even know why they need to be included in this product. So, like, why have the feel bad situation? Just, 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 just I guess, for, from a context or connotation standpoint, 
to call them undesirable makes it sound like they're in a street gang or something. They might as well be. I mean, like they do, there's some, there's some undesirables in that pack. Don't don't hang out with them. There there are some undesirables in some of those packs, and and that's tough, right? Because somebody's gonna go into a local store. They're gonna spend I don't know fifteen bucks or whatever on a booster pack, and they're gonna open like like we're saying some fifty cent rare and a one or two dollar mythic rare, maybe some decent uncommons or whatever, and then they're just gonna be sad about it. While they watch the next person open up one and get like a hundred dollars worth of cards, right? Like, there's no reason that that spread should be that wide. Like, there's just not. Like, there's other things. We, and don't be wrong, I get the idea of holding on to reprint equity and all that stuff, but like, there's other ways we could do this. Because like, the excuse of cards being included at all rarities for draft balance or themes or whatever, it's bullshit. I mean, that's what it is. I'm gonna call it he, he did it. He, he, we broke him down. I'm just, I'm going to be honest. It is what it is. I mean, like, and this is no knock on anybody at Wizards, but, like, premium products don't need to be draftable. I said that when I was there. They know how I feel about it, so this isn't new. But, like, there is zero reason for master sets to be draftable. Don't get me wrong. I get it. There's part of the community that does like to draft. I understand that. I'm not saying they shouldn't have products for them, whatever. But in this case, especially when you're talking about Double Masters being the premium cost set that we've had so far, right? We've in, Where you're talking about Double Masters 1 or Double Masters 2. The average person, even if you like drafting, the average drafter, like also the average customer is going to draft with zero times. Like they're not going to go pay $60, $80, you know, at a lot of these stores to draft this. They're just not. Even of the people who like to draft, I would bet that number is still going to be one to two. So why are we wasting slots on cards that nobody wants or needs? Or two, using a lot of R&D resources to balance a set and, you know, card selection, this, that, and the other to make it good for a draft. Because that also involves them playtesting stuff and whatever. And it's like, we have so many other products we're just putting out. I'd rather them put their time and effort into something else. Because those efforts are not going to be realized in this product. Like, all the sub-themes and blah, blah, nobody cares about. You know what they're looking at? All the cool reprints. All the different alternate art stuff. All the foil treatments. Like, that's what they're looking at. Nobody cares about the draft archetypes in this set. They just don't. And when I say nobody, I don't mean literally nobody. But, like, when you're talking about of the tens of millions of players or whatever... Less than one half of one percent gives a damn. That's effectively nobody. I mean, let's be real about it. So yeah, that's the part that bugs me more than anything. Like the the fact that we just included some bad cards for no good reason whatsoever, and that's going to lead to feel bad in the pack opening. But the overall selection of cards, when you get past that, like there's some reprints for stuff that have never been reprinted, which is cool. Some stuff getting foil versions for the first time. You know, some cards that have been 100, 200, hell, $1,000 because they just haven't been reprinted in 20 years. Like, those getting reprinted, pretty cool. So, like, there's a lot of positives, and there's unfortunately going to be overlooked because of the glaring negative in the set, which sucks because I'd rather the people who put a lot of time into the set get rewarded and feel good and have something to be happy about than have to go online and see people gripe about some of the decisions. 
But I don't know, Brent. Are you going to buy any double masters? I am I not. That's that's too rich for my blood. That's understandable. I can see that being the case for a lot of people. Like, I'm going to be real. I think on this set, I'm going to become one of the people that folks hate. I think I'm going to end up buying, like, maybe a box to for myself. But I'll open it on stream or whatever and do some stuff with the community. Maybe a pack or two for some type of giveaway or something. But I might get another box. And dare I say, maybe I'm going to put a couple of question marks on this collector's <laughs> box and just sit on it. I'll, I'll be honest. Most of, most of my decks don't cost $50. So, yeah, this is... Well, but I thought about it, right? Like, looking at Double Masters 1, you can't find a box of that for under $700 right now, I don't believe. And that was only two years ago. So, what else am I going to buy that in two years' time is going to be worth one and a half to two and a half times its value? depending on how much I paid for it. Almost nothing. Like, it's hard to even find quality stocks that are going to get you that type of return. And so, the, like... The, 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 there, there are some NFTs, so people... Now people can hate me now. <laughs> you you, you want to unload some of them pretty fast, though. Hell, I was going to say, if you're part of that board board Ape Yacht Club, some people are taking a bath on that stuff. Yeah. So you might have missed the boat on even that. So it's like, there's very few things so I don't fault people like I and I know that sucks because people would rather the stuff be out in circulation or whatever. I completely understand, but at the same time, I'm like, eh, if I have a little extra, eh, you know, that's not a bad place to park my money if I'm looking at you know saving up for stuff or whatever. So that's probably going to be my plan with it. But again, you know what I'm not doing? I ain't drafting it. There you go. I mean, just being real. Like, if I'm going to draft, I'm going to use one of the other booster boxes I have. Like, why am I going to draft this set? Like, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Hell, if anything, I'd rather the cards come right out of the pack and go into a sleeve instead of having people pass them around and draft them because they're going to be worth a ton of money. I don't want to even get damaged or whatever. Oh, man. All right. So let's talk about another interesting thing, though, that came down from Words of the Coast. So this also came out, I want to say at this point, maybe about 10 days ago. I mean, it's hard to keep timeline straight with all the news that's been dropping. But sometime in the last two weeks, Wizards of the Coast sent a message out that they were effectively opening up early access on Arena. And this has been a thing that, to their credit, right, they've had trouble finding new faces. Like, people are just like, well, how come Wizards doesn't invite this person or that person or whatever? Like, there are a ton of people doing magic-related content. Like, so they don't know everybody. Hell, we're in the trenches and we don't know everybody. Right. So I get how they don't know. But they decided to send out an email, I guess effectively taking, I don't even want to say applications. It's more just letting them know you're interested. Solicitations, I don't know. <laughs> it's show of interest in doing early access for Baldur's Gate Alchemy release. Now, the idea that they're doing it was kind of neat because it's one way you can find more people. And they did say that not everybody will be selected that applies, which I'm assuming that means there's going to be somebody that actually checks your social media or whatever. And it's like, okay, you say you stream magic, but you stream like two times in the last like six weeks. They're probably not going to invite you, right? So I'm sure there's something along those lines. They didn't say specific, but I'm pretty sure that's what's going to happen. 
the weird thing is, though, I started thinking, like, why this set? Like, you know, and don't be wrong, this does solve a problem that they've had. So that part's good. But it's like, why are we doing this for the Baldur's Gate Alchemy set? And it came down to two things. So I'll start with the negative assumption here. Is that maybe Alchemy is losing a lot of popularity. And they want to get as much exposure for this as possible. And they're realizing maybe that some number of content creators are not interested in playing the Alchemy event release. Now, how would they know that? Well, I can tell you behind the scenes, they reach out to us to do previews and stuff for Alchemy cards or whatever. There's probably, and I don't know this, but there's probably some number of people that probably turn down doing one because they don't play a lot of Alchemy right now. And if some of the creators you would like to have doing early access stuff aren't interested in even doing a preview, there's probably a chance they're not going to want to play that event as well, right? So you want to make sure there's enough people to fill your queues so nobody has long wait times while they're streaming it or whatever. So this kind of makes sense, but it also says a lot about alchemy if that's true. Then you also got to add the people they've chased off with various uh, policies as to when and where you can't stream. So you know, a lot of those people are have had to make a choice, you know, create content for one platform or the other. And if you're making a bunch of money on one platform, and the other one wants to restrict you, but isn't going to pay you any money. Why would you go over there? That's fair. I don't. I don't know if that's a large enough number of people that would have swung it, but it doesn't matter. It's a number. I mean, it goes mm-hmm. into that pile. And I'd say it's the most popular. It's the number that gets the most news attention. I'll say. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't. I don't really know. Right. It's kind of hard to tell. Like why this. And, and it would make sense to me though. Because I know, I, like, I've been on record as saying, I would not be surprised if Alchemy or Historic ends up going away within three years' time on Arena. Or at least exists, but is getting very little attention. Because it feels like, as long as Standard stays good and playable and diverse or whatever, there's not a lot of reason for people to play Alchemy. And now that Explorer is going to be getting more stuff added, so it looks closer to Pioneer well, then less people are going to need to play Historic online. So over time, those other two formats, I think, are slowly going to get less and less play, especially because starting in another week, we're going to be running qualifier events, and people are going to want to practice Standard and Pioneer and Modern and whatever. And if you can play a version or close to the same version of your Pioneer deck online, you can get on and practice with friends or whatever. Like, you'd rather spend your money on that than on Historic that you can only play online. You know what I mean? Yeah. So... Kind of makes sense. Now, the potential positive side of this is maybe this is a dry run for Dominary United or Brothers War or whatever down the road, right? When we get back to doing the regular set releases. Then, okay, maybe you expect there's going to be a smaller interest in Alchemy. So you can go ahead and roll it out with this one, handle all the incoming traffic, Figure out how you're going to verify accounts or social media efforts or whatever it is you're going to do to qualify somebody to participate. And then you have your system kind of figured out. You have a couple months to to have meetings and refine it or whatever. Then you can do the same thing when we get to Dominary United. And it's a much cleaner process. And maybe you get more people involved or whatever. So it may not be anything negative. It might just be like, hey, if we do this now, while we expect there's going to be lower traffic or because of interest in alchemy or whatever, 
when we get to the regular set and everybody wants to participate, it'll be easier for us to handle, it'll be cleaner, and we can get more people involved. So, I mean, it could literally be either side of the equation for me. I don't know. But I think there is good and bad to read into this, depending on what your perspective is. So, I don't know, did you find the announcement shocking at all whenever it came out or surprising? No, I mean, I, I think it's pretty well known they've been kind of hemorrhaging people for a number of reasons. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's it's weird. Like, part of me feels like there's a vocal minority that's, you know, as as I say, decided to do the the airport thing and announce their departures. But I haven't had, like, long queue times at all. You know, and that's in some of the times I'm even getting on at weird times of night and still get games quickly, still watch getting viewers on my content for it. So, like, I'm not sure what's going on there. I, I don't think it's as big as people were making it out to be, personally. I Because I, I'm with you. Like, I see a lot of that and people talking about it. But, you know, as much as we talked about uh, Pete over at Star City making the statement of, like, you know, Twitter isn't real life. <laughs> That's the part I agreed with them on. I think there's a lot of stuff. Like, because I, I even try to tell people, you know, Talking about, oh, Magic's dying and this, that, and the other, and Wizards making all these decisions. Yet, a lot of people paid to show up and play these command fests effectively with no major prize or draw. People are showing up in the thousands to come hang out. You know, like... Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm definitely not in the game is dying crowd, but I'm in the Wizards is handling their content creator program pretty badly crowd. Oh, yeah. that. But you know what, though? And I've said this before. I Part of that complaint from people was, well, they weren't letting everybody in, but I'm also in the camp of like, not everybody needs to be in. Like, and, and even if they let you in, you know, let us know before the day the stuff drops if we're going to yeah, get a code or not. That that is a big deal. Like, communication. Yeah, that's a huge deal because I mean, yeah. you, you, we, we both know, like, we plan what kind of content we're going to make weeks, in some cases, months oh, yeah. in advance. I've already, you know, got my calendar for the Madden videos I'm going to make, and we're still basically two months away from release. So for oh, that, I was drop- literally talking with Ultra Pro today about, oh, yeah, I'll make a video for this product, do this yeah. thing, you know, whatever. So, like, yeah, I, I feel you on that. Like that so part. for them, you know, to, to drop something in my lap like the day before, which is exactly what happened last time. Yeah, the Ultra Pro, or not the but the communication stuff, yeah, I totally get that. Like that, no fault at all. But when I see people complaining that they weren't allowed into a program or so-and-so wasn't, I'm like, what has that person done? And I know that sounds bad, but like, cool. I mean, you've made two posts about magic. You've bitched about a bunch of things. Like, why should they work with you? Like, I've had people, I, like, I tell people this. Like, I do things for, for several companies, you know, because I'm looking at long-term relationship building long-term benefits right like you have to treat it like a business you can't complain about a thing or do stuff that's i don't know negatively impactful for a brand and then be mad that they don't let you participate in their fun thing well in in the real world you can't because like i can't like i I talk about madden all the time they don't say well we're not going to send you any more things you know that's the complete opposite of what you do in the real world you you do invite people that have negative things to say about your product sometimes (laughs) sometimes but it's also if that person has a big enough reach 
That's the trade-off. Because if I say something negative about some of these things, they're not going to be like, well, we got to bring this person in and turn them around. Like, that ain't going to happen. But if you're a, I don't know, I don't want to say Mr. Beast because he's absurdly big. Like, I don't know, say Dream or somebody, right? Also, I don't. I remember the last time Mr. Beast said something bad about a game. That's not his about anything. Kind of, honestly, he's, yeah. he's a pretty cool dude. But you know, let's say you get one of these other big creators like Dream or Jacksepticeye or any of these people out there that don't like your product, and you're like, okay, let's invite them in. Let's talk to them. Let's see if we can win them over or whatever. Because those they have a big enough reach that it's worth that effort. Even in, for my size, I ain't worth that effort. And so when I see people that are even smaller than I am, I'm like, you ain't worth that effort either. Like, we, we all get full of ourselves on social media because we all have a voice and whatever. But, like, most of us, including myself, we ain't that important in the grand scheme of things in a lot of stuff. Like, we just got to check ourselves sometimes. And I know people hate to hear that, but it's true. Like, we give ourselves way more importance than we deserve sometimes. And it's easy to do. Because, you know, we, we get in our communities, we're all talking, and you get to be somebody among like 100 people, and you feel like you're someone, and that's cool. But when you're talking about a company that makes, in this case, a billion dollars, you ain't squat. <laughs> like, that's it at the end of the day. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's a, it's a good thing in general that they're at least trying this and putting it out there. Because regardless of the reason, there's at least some learnings they could take away from it and apply that to other stuff down the road. And then we'll just see if more people get to participate or not. Or hopefully, at the very least, it helps with their communication. But then for to wrap things up this week in the dinner table, I kind of wanted to talk about stuff a little bit different. Because we've started to have the discussions of, like, we're going back, at least putting our toe in the water for certain conventions. Right? We're, we're talking about going back and visiting game stores again. And I kind of wanted to ask you, Brian, and let's just start with what's the worst thing or the thing you liked the least for any game store you visited? And you don't have to call up the store and throw anybody under the bus. Oh, darn. I mean, you can if you want to. (laughs) But what is the thing you like the least about a store that you've gone to? I mean, I think for me, it's always the people because I mean, I'm not somebody that I don't have, you know, obviously the 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 running the business experience or even, you know, it's just like, hey, do it. Does somebody does somebody talk to me when I go in? And also, hey, do I, you know, share some kind of couple of common experiences with these people? Do I feel almost like cheers? You know, does it does everybody know my name here after I've been here a few times? I feel like that's what's going to bring me in and, you know, keep bringing me back. So if somebody's got a, a a poor community that put you off. Yeah, or not necessarily a poor community, but it just may be a case where, like, you know, it's hard to to break in if you're not part of the already established clique. And I've heard so many people describe they were just they felt that way. It's kind of almost like high school. And again, nobody's meaning to do it. It's just you have your group of friends to talk to, and again, we are. We, we, we are nerds. Sometimes we get a little insular and it becomes harder to break into that community if you if they don't know you. You know what's funny? There's a thing up here in the Northwest that they call the Seattle Freeze that a lot of people feel like they have a hard time breaking into communities when they move up here. And 
it's interesting because I never experienced that. And maybe it is because I'm a gamer. I can just walk in and like somebody's got an empty seat. They're looking for a player or whatever, right? But I started thinking up here, maybe it's because, you know, you have Microsoft and Google and Facebook and all these big companies that, that have offices up here. Like maybe it's because they're just moving so many people up here from around the country that people have gotten so used to making friends just based on their existing group that they haven't had to just do it individually. And now it just feels daunting and weird. But I'm like, I don't know, as a gamer, I felt like I could almost go anywhere and, and find somebody. So it's been mm -hmm. very interesting. Yeah, I mean, we're both, you know, we, we, we are both extremely extroverted and, you know, we're going <laughs> to, I mean, we, you will acknowledge us, as Roman would say. But Yes, acknowledge me. Like, no, I, I get what you're saying, dude, because uh, I tell people I've never met a stranger, right? Like, I can just talk to anybody randomly I see in the mall or whatever, and it doesn't bother me. So that does make it easy. But you're right, though. If, if there's a, a standoffish community, that, that could be really off-putting. Because and as I said, you know, I'm not attacking it, but it's because it's often it's I'm sure I've probably done it before where you just you, you stick to your own group and you don't even mean to do it. But it's just But some yeah. of that though becomes also like the staff and the store or whatever kind of cultivating that idea of just like, oh hey, let me introduce you to so and so who's really good about maybe taking on new players or helping people build decks or whatever it is, right? Like you go and introduce them to that person that's in your store and make it easier for them. So I, I get that. I can see that being a real thing. But for me, okay, so the thing I like the least that's probably put me off of more stores than anything. And I would even say when I was touring stores in the Northwest, the thing that would put me off faster than anything was if you just had a dirty ass store. Yeah. Like I ain't even gonna lie. Like, I, like again, I ain't gonna throw anybody under, but actually, to be fair, the store has new management now and they're doing a lot better, so it wouldn't really matter. But there's the store me and my lady went into. She needed to use the bathroom and she literally was like, came back a minute later, was like, nah, I'll just wait. <laughs> yeah, that's embarrassing. And I'm like, damn, I don't even need to go see how bad this is. And she's visited a lot of nerd spots. And right. like, the fact that she came back almost instantly, it was like, nah, I'm good, I'll just wait. And I was like, ooh, I knew it was bad. I knew it was bad. But it was a reflection of the rest of the store, too. The rest of the store was poorly organized. Like, the staff didn't, you know, care about picking up that stuff or whatever. Like, things were just stacked on top of other things. Like, and it just made you not want to come back. I didn't think about that until you mentioned it. But, yeah, that is a huge, you know, and, I, and I'll be the first person to admit I'm not the, the, the tidiest. But, yeah, if you can't even, if you don't even feel safe using, or comfortable using the restroom. Well, hell, at this point, we can say safe. If, yeah. if the store is filthy at this point, you don't feel physically safe in there anymore because you know no COVID protocols are being obeyed or enforced. Yeah, and all and this was pre-COVID. Yeah, so I can't so, even imagine if I walked into a dirty store now post-COVID. Yeah, back like, back I, then, it was just yeah, you're nasty. Now it literally is a life or death thing. Yeah, if yeah. I saw that now, I'd I'd be like, yeah, I'm good. I'm probably not coming back here. You know, until somebody tells me or shows me that that something's changed, like. That, that was already rough. Like, I went into one store, and it was, I mean, like, the lighting was already bad, so it was already kind of dim. And, like, just so many, like, there was nothing they got right, I will say. Like, staff wasn't good, you know, whatever. But, oh man, like, it, it felt so dirty. I didn't even, like, I literally looked around. I'm like, dude, I don't even have allergies or nothing, and I feel just 
all ugly being in the store. Like I'm, I'm just looking at the dust. I'm like, just everything. Like the carpet smells bad. I'm just like, I don't, I can't, I can't. Like I literally just looked around. I was like, and what's bad is in this this sector, in this particular store, there was a, a a female customer that was super friendly and super inviting, and I almost felt like she knew how bad it was, but she really wanted to like have this be the place people hang out and she was super trying to get people interested. And I just had one of those moments that internally, I was just like, oh, bless her heart. Like, yeah. but this ain't happening. <laughs> you know what I mean? I felt so bad because I'm like, this woman seems so nice and I would probably hang out with her, but not here. <laughs> like, I'm just like, it's just not going to happen. Like, just being real. Like, so yeah, the cleanliness was a thing like that by far is the thing that could put me off the most even when my store wasn't the best organ i at least tried to make sure it was swept things were wiped down like bathrooms got clean like you got to take care of like the, the the simple stuff first like that that's the biggest thing now to flip it the other way we'll finish on a high note and ask you what is the thing you've liked the most about a store you've gone into um I feel bad. It's, it's it's been so long since I've been in one at this point for 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 maybe more than buying a pack or a, or some card protectors or something. Well, I can I can tell you it's a twofold thing for me. Like for me, one is just good staff. Yeah. Right, and then maybe that's from the business side of stuff for me. But like I told you before, like I've tried tried to train my people like try to know somebody's name or what exactly. they buy. Right, one of those two things. So you can address them when they come in, show them a product, whatever, make sure they know about a certain event that's coming up that they might be interested in, whatever, right? And just to have that quick interaction and not even like, hey, can I help you? What are you looking for? Blah, blah, like be truly engaging, right? Like that always changes the shopping experience for me. The other is when I see good organization of product, like I like to praise a store, I guess when we're talking about uh, madness in Plano, Right when you can go down an aisle, it's like these are all the war games, these are all the puzzles. Oh yeah, I, see now, now I'm old, but when you mention stuff, I'm like yeah, I do remember the shelves being like yeah, you said, very. Like, that makes such a good shopping experience. Where like I don't good have answer. to like scrounge around looking for stuff, or your board games are at least alphabetized on the shelf, so I can go down and find them or whatever. Because a good example, there's a store in in Portland, and I don't know why I'm forgetting their name. They've got like a green and black logo or whatever maybe like a neon green yellow whatever but they if you walk in their store they've got product from practically floor to ceiling it feels like but it's at least organized you can walk along the wall you can find whatever you're looking for they have creative bins for like lego pieces and stuff so like even though it's not necessarily what i would say like the top tier it's not a, it's not a mox type store where you know has that super glowy fancy look to it but it's still very good as far as like a shopping experience. And they get a lot of customers because of it. So like that goes a long way too. So like those two things are very big for me whenever I go into this. And now I, I thought like about you, you, you reminded me of something. There, there was a shop in Shreveport where they were there. One of the, uh, uh, well, one of the employees kind of had like their own list of, you know, like, hey, these are the, the top five comic books I enjoyed this week. And even if I didn't agree with them, I always went, the first thing I would do is I would come to the store and see, Hey, what's on the top five comics list this week? 
Oh, that's actually a cool thing. I haven't really thought. Yeah, I have seen that in a couple spots. Yeah, and so you're just right. like one of those where, hey, you know, it's kind of like even if you don't feel like you have the authority, assume the authority, and people will, you know, it starts conversations too. And you know, me being me, sometimes be like, no, you like that book? I thought it, you know, I, I wasn't crazy about it, but now we've started a conversation. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to look at it, right? It's a conversation starter. It's a way to inform customers without having to engage them on that level of just like, let me tell you about a thing, you know. I think that's actually really important. And here's one of the things too, I think people forget from a lot of just like creative perspectives is that you inadvertently become the subject matter expert on a thing. Right. Even if you don't like, you know, like your channel, right? There's going to be people who come to you. They're going to come looking for video game recommendations or whatever. And like, you're not the video game authority, but to them, they've watched enough of your videos. They're like, I trust this dude. I'm going to go ask him something, you know? So and I mean, at, at this point, I, you know, I've been doing, you know, some form of video game content for well over 20 years. I mean, if I'm not <laughs> an authority yeah. at this point, I don't know who is. So, so you're their thing, right? They're going to come to you for information. So having that out there is pretty smart, honestly. And it's funny you mention that because I've seen that at some stores. Or they'll put a tag of this, like, this is this employee's favorite board game or this employee's yep. favorite comic or whatever. So if you see them, you can ask them about it or whatever, which is a good jumping on point. Because and I think it also makes it good, like you're saying, from a customer perspective, you don't have to feel like you're engaging this person in a conversation they don't want to have. Yes, right. again, you know, because, you know, Tish is, 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 believe it or not, Tish considers herself an introvert. People that watch the chair are like, no, there's no way. But, you know, it's one thing when you're talking to a camera and you feel like nobody's there, but she is maybe less likely to go to somebody. But if she sees, you know, hey, here's a list of things that I like, she can read that, go pick up the things she wants. And if she doesn't want to, you know, have a long conversation with anybody, she doesn't have to. Yeah, it's pretty smart. Yeah, not really going to complain about that one. That's another good one. Well, all right, man. I think we ended on a high note after this show going up and down and all over the place. So, what is it, everybody, where they can find you on social media? Oh, hello. Am I still here? I'm still here. Yeah, there you are. All okay. right. I didn't cut what is everybody that can find you on socials? <laughs> I, I am Brian Sionic on uh, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Our family channel on YouTube is Alan's Ever After. And you can find me just about everywhere at Power Dragon, P-O-W-R-D-R-A-G-N on most socials. And if you want to get that cool how it's made stuff from Oprah and whatever over the next few weeks and be part of some giveaways, follow me on all my stuff on my YouTube channel. But as always, wherever you're listening, whenever you're listening, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. And please take care of yourselves and your family with all the crap out there in the world. And remember to be awesome and be awesome to each other. If you'd like to further support Color of Magic, you can find us on our website at colorofmtg.com. We also have a Patreon if you'd like to donate. Other patreon.com slash colorofmagic. You can also find us on Facebook under Color of Magic. And if you want to follow us along at Twitter, you can find us there at Color of MTG. And as always, please share the podcast around to your friends, your network, people you think might enjoy it, because every little bit helps as we're trying to increase our user base. 